Talk features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives. Learn something new in each episode to help with the performance at your financial institution. Go to banktalkpodcast.com for the latest information. And now, here is our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, this is Charlie Kelly, and welcome back to Bank Talk. I'm your host and a partner at Remedy Consulting. So today we have Lori Maley. Lori Maley is the uh, CEO of Bank of Bird in Hand. And these folks are in rural Pennsylvania and have the most interesting perspective on mobile banking. Let's get started. Uh, today we've got a very interesting take on mobile banking. With me is uh, Lori Maley, CEO of uh, Bank of Bird in Hand. We're going to talk today about just some interesting concepts that Lori and her team have come up with to bank a group that you know some might consider unbanked or underbanked, the the Amish and Mennonite communities. First of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, bank of Bird in Hand has kind of become renowned for a, a unique approach you've taken to mobile banking. But to kind of get this moving, tell me a little bit about the bank. Bank of Bird in Hand is not not a name you just came up with out of the blue, correct? That's that's uh, the name of your town. Is that do I have that right? Yes, that's correct. So so Bank of Bird in Hand is situate in the middle of the what is called the Old Order Amish in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, and the Old Order Amish. Uh, it's actually made up, the plain community is made up of Amish and Mennonite, but Bank of Bird in Hand is really the nexus of where most of the old or Amish live. They're, by definition, they actually drive uh, the gray horse and buggies, and that's their method of transportation. Uh, the Amish also have different living styles where they don't necessarily have electricity. So all of those, all those items that you've heard about the Amish relative to their living conditions and travel actually occur in, in this area. Um, and we're lucky to be strategically centered here. Back in 2013, we were the first bank in the country that was granted an FDIC charter since the Great Recession. Uh, at the same time, in Pennsylvania, there had been no new bank charters in Pennsylvania in five years. After 11 years, there continues to be no new bank charters in Pennsylvania uh, either. So wow. we started with $17 million in capital, uh, and this bank has grown over the last six and a half years to over $500 million bank as far as assets. Size. So oh, we service not only the Amish and Mennonite communities, we also service the entire Lancaster County and part of Western Chester County community. Uh, but we, we are a community bank. Okay. How many locations? So when you look at locations for us, uh, we consider locations two types. One is brick and mortar. So as far as brick and mortar branches where customers come to do normal business, we have three locations. We have Bird in Hand, which is a branch as well as our corporate location. We have an office in Intercourse, uh, which is a little bit further up the road from us here, about five miles up the road in Intercourse. And then we also have a branch in Paradise. Uh, in addition to those brick and mortar branches, we've also come up with this concept of uh, what we call the mobile bank. We actually call it the Gelt bus. And, and to the Amish, Gelt means cash or money. So it's it's a money bus. So we take that that prototype unit that we uh, put into service in June of 2018, and we actually service 
nine locations, primarily Lancaster, but we do service some locations also in Chester County. So that's really one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you today is is just about the buses, how they work and all that piece of it. But just, you know, interesting statistically that I, I think if, you know, typically I would think of a $500 million in asset bank to have yeah, quite a few more locations than two. I, if I've got that correct, though, that seems like maybe this, maybe the concept of the bus is, really helps out, you know, as far as asset value and probably accounts and everything else. Well, we have, we have three, if you count the main office as our, our starter, that was our starter branch. So yes, in addition oh, to those three. I'm sorry, three, I got that wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's, it's Bird in Hand Intercourse and, and Paradise, right? It's those three. Correct. Yes, it's, it's okay. those three, brick and mortar. But the mobile bank does service nine locations. Most days it goes to one location in the morning, then travels to the next location in the afternoon. Uh, there's one day it only services one location. But for the most part, that one mobile unit can can really cover nine different branch locations. Uh, basically, just to kind of back it up a step, the one of the biggest reasons I want to talk to you is about these buses, because I think it's fascinating that you basically have come up with a concept of taking the bank to where the customer is. And in this case, it's a, a customer that's a probably a lot less mobile than, you know, what you would think of in a rural community. Um, so tell us a little bit, if you could, about the buses and just, you know, how that piece works and what's in there and, you know, uh, what what services you offer, those types of things. So to give you just a little bit of background on the Amish community, when they travel in horse and buggies, they basically have a travel circumference of five to 10 miles. And and that's a long trip in a horse and buggy, uh, depending on road conditions and weather conditions. So we came up with this, this idea. And it's funny because one of the previous banks I worked with actually had something similar. It was um, a mobile bank location. We had a, it was a, it was almost like an RV that had um, an ATM in it, but it wasn't a full service. It wasn't a full service bank. So they would take it to uh, county fairs and events where people could take money out of the ATM. So when we started to talk about this with our board, the board decided, wouldn't that be a great concept for, you know, this community where you can take the bank and bring it to them? So we started to look into it. There's there's only a couple vendors out there that build these prototypes. So we, we contracted with someone in Elkhart, Indiana. Um, there are other, a lot of credit unions use this, uh, this format of mobile unit because they're in remote locations. They don't have a lot of branches, very similar to, to our footprint. So we, we looked into this to figure how could we make this really a full service branch. So, you know, we're able to do any type of business that we can do in the brick and mortar locations, we're able to do in the mobile bank units. So, you know, we're able to pull in, have someone go to the ATM, take money out, go to the teller window, which is on the outside of the bus, cash a check, or even go into the mobile bank unit and set up a new account, open a CD. All of that is available um, just as if you would walk into one of our, our brick and mortar locations. So really it does become 100% mobile. And to some degree, when you look at that five to 10 mile radius of, of you know how far your customers are willing to travel, this I'm, I'm assuming allows you to get within a five to 10 mile, mile radius of many of the customers, maybe not all of them, but many of the customers that otherwise might not be able to make it real easily to the next town. 
That's correct. And, and I think what we're seeing as it, it's been out since June of 2018, it was rolled out then. We also see not only the Amish um, Mennonite playing community, but we also see some of our existing customer base. Instead of having to drive all the way to Bird in Hand, they're utilizing it. We were lucky enough to be able to find nine locations that were either um, some of the people that we parked the bus at our shareholders, customers, or friends of the bank. So we were very lucky that they were all open to this concept and they were willing to let us, you know, put this, this mobile bank in their parking lot. So just as you talk about scheduling, how do, how do your customers know, maybe they do net by now, but how did they know in the beginning where that bus was going to be at any point. So it, it was a branch application, just like we would have to do for any brick and mortar branch. So we had to let the FDIC and the Pennsylvania Department of Banking know uh, a general township or borough location. Once we finalized uh, the construction of the bus and went out on the road with it, we had specific locations that we told the regulators that we would be at. Um, and we published the schedules. It's published on our on our website. In addition, we send flyers out with um, the mobile bank schedule. So it acts just like a regular branch. So if we decided to move a location or close a location, we would have to follow the same branch closing protocol that we would have to do for any brick and mortar location. I think you were telling me that you intended to expand this this bus network at some point. I would assume you have the same regulatory compliance issues where you have to now say, well, we've changed the schedule and this is what it looks like. So what we did, we were putting two more mobile units, two more GELT buses out, GELT, GELT bus number two and GELT bus number three, probably sometime in October. So we had to go through the same application process. We applied for both of them at one time. Both were approved simultaneously. And we had to come up with, again, that information, not necessarily the specific location where it would sit, but the township or borough where we expect it to be. So that's all been approved. When we put the when we put the mobile units into service, we will finalize the locations and update the regulators uh, relative to the initial application. So we're, we're actually doing Gelt Bus 2 and Gelt Bus 3 slightly different. Uh, they're, they're larger. They're bigger than Gelt Bus 1. Gelt Bus 1 is 8 foot wide, 29 feet long, but 2 and 3, a little bit bigger. We went uh, 34 feet long, uh, almost 35 feet. And we changed a lot of the um, the interior of the of the bus to make it a little bit more efficient. In the original mobile bank, the ATM would slide in and out of uh, a compartment. So when we parked, we'd have to slide the mobile bank, uh, the ATM for the mobile bank into this slot. And then when they traveled with it, they would put it pull it back, put the cover on it. And then um, when they got to the next location, they have to do the same thing. They'd have to you know, slide it into the opening. This time with the second and third bus, we've actually have a stationary ATM. We've looked into the inside and said, how can we make it more private for customers that are talking, people that are waiting. So we've kind of rearranged the inside of the bus to give a little bit more privacy uh, for customers. And it's it's bigger. It has a restroom. It, it really has all the amenities that you would have in a building is really built into the bus. Ah, so before this, it was like uh, going, taking your camper out camping. It sounds like you're stepping it up a notch and, and you don't have to go pull over, get everything as extended and pulled out, et cetera, right? Now That's it sounds correct. like it's... it's uh, 
sort of a, a stop and go makes it a little bit easier for the for the team that's in there. Correct. Let me ask you a couple of, of questions that, that I had. I don't know if they're entirely relevant, but um, when you think of what makes a mobile unit successful, how many deposits, you know, what type of time frame, how do you judge the value of a mobile unit versus, say, a brick and mortar? It's, it's a bit different. I and, mean, you know, the brick and mortar statistics are, are easier to come by. You know, there's not a lot of peer comparisons out there. Uh, relative to the mobile banks. And it's really, you know, it's, it, it is a unique idea. There's no one else that we're aware of in Lancaster County or even other areas of Pennsylvania that do it. What we look for, I mean, I think it, it's just being able to bring that level of service to people that are in incredibly remote locations that really don't have a lot of options as far as banking. Um, like I said, June of 2018 was when we kicked it off. Right now we have that that one unit has about $15.6 million of deposits that we can tie to it. Um, okay. But I think the thing is, you know, that that's one piece of it, but it's also getting out to service customers that really would not have access to the bank services and it is interesting. A lot of the Amish, uh, they do bank by mail, which, you know, they, they don't mail cash, but they mail checks. And they also, we also have a courier service available to them. So what we've seen over these years, these last two years of transition, we actually see some people that used to have the courier service start to come to the mobile bank because they, they want that personal interaction. They want to be able to speak to somebody if there's an issue to resolve or or explanation that needs to be had. They can speak to somebody in person. The, that's the really the beauty of it. Um, so it's it's more intrinsic than just deposit dollars. I think there's a, there's more of an esoteric feel to this that you know you're you're out helping the community. We do take it out to special events, uh, community events across the street from us. They have a Haiti auction. The Amish and Mennonites uh, raise money for Haiti, and we park the bus there. So. People, be it customer or non-customer, can use the ATM. The the people that run the Haiti auction have accounts with us. So, you know, we were able to take all their deposits without them having to transport cash, you know, any kind of distance. So, you know, it's it's really it's really a different prototype, but there's so many things and, and so much good that it does for the community. You know, we, we look at it, yes, as a deposit generator. But, but it's much, much more than that, I think, to the Amish and Plain communities. Do they let you drive the bus? <laughs> I, I, I could drive it. I don't drive it. I think there's uh, specific reasons. We, we actually have um, a new, we call it the hangar for the bus, you know, where you, you have to back it in. So the two new buses are in one location and you, you literally, they have white lines painted and you, you literally have to back it in. Um, I think they know better than to let me do it. But one of the girls that works with us, Chris, my uh, executive assistant, she drives it all over the place. She She's not afraid to drive it. So yes, it, it is actually very easy to drive. It's this, the, the new buses are on uh, Freightliner chassis. The first bus was on a Ford chassis. So this one's a little bit bigger and heavier, but it it's very easy to drive. She said. Do you and so do you need a uh, commercial driver's license? You know, licensing requirements to be the person who gets to sit behind the wheel. Uh, there, there is not. It's based on weight, and and it falls within the confines of just a normal driver's license. But oh, that's nice. Yeah, we actually have armed guards that uh, not only protect it when it's out in the various locations, but they drive it also. So, killing two birds with one stone, if you will. 
Yeah, I didn't know how you recruited somebody with the right driver's license to also, you know, uh, sort of operate the bank when it, when it gets there. Okay, one other question. So how much difference, just in distance, would you estimate there is between sort of, you know, the farthest two stops of the bus over, you know, over the over the nine stops of the week? or About 37 miles would be the furthest stretch between two locations. So, Oh, so that's yeah. not even as much as I would have thought. Yeah, that that's pretty much um, what we have now. We we are trying with the new buses to get to some more remote locations. Uh, some in the further southern end of Lancaster. There's there's really not a lot of services available to them down there. So that's part of our target group that we're trying to get to. And I suppose that 37 miles covers an awful lot of five to 10 mile circumferences right if you think about yes. it if, if, yes. you know, if the round trip is five to ten miles from from the customer 37 miles puts you inside a lot of circles we'll be right back you hear a lot about supply chains these days because if the past couple years have taught us anything it's that an efficient well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Well, and you know what we've tried to do? We've tried to locate the stops where the Amish would frequent for other occasions. So if they have to go to the store or they have to go to Noble Road milking, it's it's a little area that the bus parks there. So they can kind of they can kind of do their banking and, and do their shopping. So we've tried to be strategic that we put it where it's convenient for them and places that they frequent. That's a great perspective. I never really kind of thought about it that way. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got a few years under your belt, so that's probably yeah. pretty useful, right? <laughs> um, what? So, what do you think? Have you ever tracked the customers that actually visit the bus? Are they all sort of in that Amish Mennonite community, or are there also sounded to me like maybe you had some that also drove their own vehicles? This was just from a convenience perspective. They learned where the bus was going to stop. They knew it was going to be there. That type of thing. Do you know what percentage? are you know uh, travel restricted per se it's it's hard to give a specific percentage just because the locations the the areas where the bus stops at these locations it, it varies a lot because some of them are in towns and some of them are out in boroughs and and more remote locations but i think what we've been seeing is you know, the Amish kind of put the word out about it. But once we've done some advertising in the papers and various publications, I think we've seen more of what we call us the um, or the English. The English group of people is starting to frequent the, board, the bus a little bit more. And that's really because, you know, they, they know they can get every single service that they can get at a branch. They can do at the mobile bank. So it continues to be primarily, uh, I would say the plane community is is really more heavily using it than the English, but I, I do see there is transition and, and that as it, it gains ground and is around a little bit longer, 
and it is, it's like a, it's like a moving billboard. So, you know, it kind of advertises itself. We, we have seen an uptick in um, non-Amish using it. Yeah, I mean, I like the concept around, you know, just brand building, because if it's on the move, it's nothing but good for your for your bank, I would imagine. And even if it's not on the move, just the fact that it's parked there and other people are getting by, you know, going by and what have you, it's a, uh, you certainly get to expand your, your footprint from that perspective. Yes, that's correct. The, the way I was going with, uh, you know, who visits it, I'm sure it's not a statistic you track because, you know, why would you? But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking down the path of, you know, does this concept work for other communities outside of the Amish or does it work for a group that is, you know, non-travel restricted? Can, can you think about, can you talk to that at all? It, you know, it, I, I mean, certainly there's a lot of benefits in the branding side of it, but give me give me your feel on that. Does this concept of a, of a, a mobile unit where else could it work? I think you really, it has to be one of those things that you really know your customers, that you know customers uh, will welcome it, will be willing to to utilize it. I think we've seen an overwhelming acceptance of it. And I think it, I would even go as far to say as the Amish appreciate it because they know uh, a lot of the reason it was done was to get services to them. So you really have to have a specific business model and plan. Uh, I do think it can work. Do I think it would work in the cities? I'm not quite so sure about that. I've had other CEOs contact me and I, I don't think any of them have ever moved forward with building another mobile bank. But yeah, I think it, it really is for us, it, it really is a win-win for our customers and the bank. And I think you would have to have those circumstances really specifically drawn out and make sure that, you know, the, the cost justifies the means. I mean, it, it is very cost-effective for us. We can we can build one of these for between 200, 250,000. So, you know, to pick up nine branch locations or even, even four a week, you know, is, is really cost effective relative to building brick and mortar where, you know, it could be, could range anywhere from half a million to over a million for uh, a branch site. You just have to have, it has to fit your business plan. For us, it was a perfect fit. You know, it just came up in conversation at a board meeting and we all started to look at each other and say, hey, this is really a concept that I think would be embraced by our community and by the Amish. And luckily, uh, you know, we, we put it out to a couple of Amish people uh, before we moved forward with it and they were they were all in. Yeah, and like I said, I like the concept of branding. Are there any locations that are real close to a competitor bank? But are there are there locations that you've picked up that there are other financial institutions, whether that be a credit union or a bank in the same vicinity? Uh, not not within probably at least a mile a mile drive. Uh, most of the most of the banks that we've seen are the larger banks. And what we've seen in some of these remote communities is they've been closing branches because, you know, they, they just can't make a go of it with, with a, you know, potentially dwindling population in some of the areas. But for us, it makes sense because, you know, once the word of mouth gets out that, the, that it's there and it's going to be there every Tuesday at nine o'clock, it's, it's, we've seen to have a lot of success with that. So there's not direct competitors. I mean, most of the people that, that we're up against in some of these remote areas would be the larger banks and, and not necessarily small community banks. So you talked a little bit about the efficiency that goes into building the second and the third one, right? Meaning, meaning you know, some of the things that you've done to make it an easier experience than maybe your first one. 
Anything else you've learned over time that'll make this, you know, these next two even easier than the first one outside of the, you know, outside of the, uh, what you do when you set up and, and, and uh, the, you know, some of the privacy that you had talked about for the customer. Is there anything else in there that you care to speak to? Uh, we actually change the generator types because what happens is when we go to these locations, uh, the generator runs all of the computer equipment. So what we, what we actually found out, it sounds crazy, but in the summers when it gets so hot, it, it gets so hot that it shuts the gas generators off. So we've actually gone to both new buses have diesel generators, which hopefully will make life a bit easier. We also have learned, you know, we've been through flat tires and, you know, um, you can't, you can't imagine the the things that kind of happen on these remote roads. So we've, we've come to learn, you know, to kind of think ahead, Uh, bad weather. We've learned, you know, we have signs that we keep with the people that, you know, we're on their location. They put signs out during inclement weather or, you know, if the bank can't be there. We've had a couple instances where, you know, the generator's gone down. We had to, we had to rent a, a temporary RV and, and done that. So you come up with your contingency plans and it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's a little bit of baptism by fire. I think now we have that whole model down pretty pretty well. I think we've we've learned a lot, and I think now we see we'll probably have a little bit better operating efficiency with the diesel generators. Wow, yeah, I, I suppose there's probably a hundred war stories in there oh. that you can't even imagine. <laughs> we listeners couldn't imagine, I suppose, right? That's true. Good. Well, I mean, I think we covered just about everything. That I can think of anything else you'd like to impart on our listeners before I let you go? I would say, you know, keep when you're running a business, I think opportunities are always all around us. Uh, it's necessary sometimes to think outside the box. I think that's what we've kind of done here. We we look to our customers. We we know a lot about our customers and we tried to come up with a solution that really services them and their families. You know, the Amish population is a population that continues to multiply. So not only do you have, you know, the grandparents, you have may have the parents and the children and the grandchildren, you really need to look to your customers and figure how best do you service them. Our, from our perspective, we took a very simple concept and tailored it to cater to the, our customers as well as the community. And it sounds like your board was pretty flexible with the first one, which is probably pretty helpful, right? Making Definitely. sure that uh, making sure that you had the support internally to be able to pull it off as well. Yes, we have a great board. Probably one of the best boards I've ever worked for and worked with in my career. Is is your board, if you don't mind me asking, is your board part of the Amish community as well, or are there? They are. We, okay. we have a total of eleven directors. Uh, four of our directors are from the Amish community uh, that live locally. Uh, we have one director that's Mennonite and the rest of us are English. Oh, wow. That's a good mix. I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us. This is a very interesting take on mobile banking, right? I mean, you have the, especially in the middle of this COVID, uh, we, you know, we've got this COVID thing going on and it seems like a lot of banks are moving to more of a mobile banking platform. And this is one where it seems like you guys are taking the bank to the to the customer. Do you mind if I ask any questions around what COVID has done to the bus, or is it any and is it any different than than the way you're treating your your brick and mortars? When we we actually encountered COVID initially, what we did is we locked down our branches, and we we do have a lot of the Amish customers that do come to the window with the horse and buggy and do their banking that way or walk up to the windows. Uh, it, was a, it was a temporary period when we did that. As far as the mobile bank w- went, 
we actually closed down the walk-in part of the bank and just used mm-hmm. the ATM and the teller window. Uh, but now we're back both in the brick and mortar as well as the mobile bank to have customers come in uh, as long as they wear you know the proper masks. Oh, I see. So it's really been kind of the same, uh, to some degrees, the same experience as you have in your brick and mortars. Yeah, yes. you know, eventually, at one point, everybody kind of shut down the ATM and teller window, I believe. Right. Yeah, we, we didn't do that. We, we kept all that open. Um, and it's really not the same to have your customers, you know, not be able to come in the bank because our, our customer base, they want to come in, they want to do their banking in person, they want to talk to people, you know, our tellers know them by name. And so it, it's more than a banking experience for them. So that that did hurt us a bit. I think it was hard for them to adjust. But luckily, uh, back in July, we were able to reopen the branches, which I think was a great thing for the bank and the customers. Okay, good. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you, Charlie. All right. Thank you, Lori, for joining us. And um, I think what I take away from this is probably two things, right? Mobile banking isn't always mobile banking. I'd probably call that number one. And then number two, I would say, you know, don't stop looking for new ways to serve your customers because, you know, just taking this step, they quickly grew a bank from sort of zero to $400 million in assets. Or To me, that's, that's impressive. I doubt that their competitors in that area have grown as fast as they have, and they've done it in a way that you know really is just sort of thinking outside the box. That wraps up our Bank Talk discussion for today. Uh, if you have ideas about future episodes, you want to participate, you've got something that you think bankers need to hear, feel free to reach out at uh, banktalkpodcast.com. So take care. Again, this is Charlie Kelly. Have a good day and keep on learning. <music>